0: Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, editor-at-large at at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. This week, we're kicking off Women's History Month with debut novelist Aida Salazar and her stunning book for 8- to 12-year-olds, The Moon Within. The novel is a modern-day, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Set in Oakland, California, it's steeped in the culture and traditions of the Mexica, indigenous people of Mexico. The story introduces us to Sally Rivera. Like every 11-year-old, she has questions. Questions about her changing body, her first crush, and her best friend's exploration of gender fluidity. But most of all, Sally has questions about her mother's insistence that she have a moon ceremony when her first period arrives, an ancestral mashika ritual that Mima and their community have reclaimed and that Sally does not want to participate in. Today, Aida and her editor, Nick Thomas, join us to discuss why this lyrical, coming-of-age, own voices story is a must-read for everyone. First, here's Aida. Hi, Aida, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. We're so happy to have you. First, tell us about The Moon Within.
1: The Moon Within is about 11-year-old Celie Rivera, who is on the cusp of adolescence, and she is, questioning all sorts of things, her body, her her friend's gender fluidity, um, her first crush on a boy, and she's also a secret keeper. She likes to keep things pretty private. And her mother wants to give her a moon ceremony when her period comes, which mortifies her to no end. And Sally and her best friend happen to like the same boy, but for different reasons. And things get a little bit muddy when the boy that they try to befriend is a bigot to her best friend. And so Sally has to figure out where her loyalties lie. And so she looks to her community, to the universe and and inside herself to try to figure out who she wants to be.
0: Like every adolescence, it's a painful, painful process.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Could you read an excerpt for us? This is the first piece, the opening piece. It's called My Locket. There is a locket in my heart that holds all of the questions that do cartwheels in my mind and gurgle up to the top of my brain like root beer fizz. Questions that my journal doesn't keep so that my little brother Juju or other snoops don't read them. Questions that Mima knows how to answer, but I'm too embarrassed to ask her because they might seem stupid or gross or wrong. Like, why have my armpits begun to smell? Or how big will my breast grow? Or when exactly will my period come? I flush bright red right through my amber skin just thinking about it. "'It was so long ago that Mima was 11. "'Maybe she wouldn't remember what it's like. "'Maybe she'll make me talk about it a lot. "'Maybe wind herself into a lecture "'about the beauty of women's bodies "'that I don't want to hear from her sometimes cactus lips. "'Maybe she'll think I'm delirious and say, "Sally, are you running a fever?' "'While she kisses my forehead. "'My locket also keeps secrets.' Secrets tangle in the shyness of my tongue when I try to tell them to my best friend Magda. Instead, my locket holds quiet my crush on Ivan, who is one year older than me and who can do a backflip better than the other boys in his capoeira class. Or the wish that Aurora, my friend, would just go away and not have a crush on him, too. Or how often I sneak the tablet from my parents when I'm supposed to be practicing music or dancing. Though I've never seen it, I know my locket is there. It keeps my questions, my secrets, warm, unanswered, and safe.
0: Oh, so lovely, Aida. There's so much richness to this story. I almost don't know where to begin. But could you talk about the moon ceremony and the ancestral origins, and also how music and dance play a role in the Chicana culture, Mm
1: -hmm. how it
0: all comes together?
1: Sure. So a moon ceremony is a traditional series of rituals that happens for a girl's coming of age. My particular perspective comes from the Mashika tradition, which usually happens right around the girls, after the girls' first menstruation. And so in the ceremony, there are different rituals that take place. There's a cleansing ceremony. There is a, a flower crowning ceremony. There is a blood giving ceremony. Each ritual represents a different metaphor in some ways. The flower crowning ritual represents the girls blossoming. And so Sochi is also a symbol of poetry and it it was just a beautiful representation of what happens in, in nature to a seed right it eventually blossoms and then the cleansing ritual there's always water, water is life. And so we cleanse the child and, and kind of of all negativity. And then we open up a new path for them through through the cleansing. And the blood giving ritual is, is something that's kind of intense. You know, women would often... And the Americas would retire to a moon hut. And in their hut, they would dig holes into the ground and they would bleed literally right into the earth. And it was a way to give an offering to the earth, to Tonantzin, Tonantzin being earth mother. And it was a way to try and release all of your toxins and your energy and give it to the earth to renew. So there, you know, these are all traditions that were passed down through oral history, primarily. The women with indigenous customs have kept this kind of quiet. And the Moon Within is the first time that we're seeing this published. There are other, other Native American uh, women authors who have also written about this, but this is the first time I think that we're seeing it in fiction.
0: I'm so admiring of you. I mean, it's it, it's such a obviously natural for everyone to have a period, but it's been so often not talked about. Even Sully is self-conscious when her mother brings it up. What led you to be so brave and to share this in such a natural, loving way?
1: Well, most of my work is done with the intention to, to change the story. I really grew up with this concept of of menstruation that it was to be feared or shamed or hated and that of course is a very patriarchal you know perspective and so the work that i was trying to do with this is to kind of reframe how we view women's bodies women's menstruation in a way that honored our natural cycles and our honored our relationship to the moon. There's this very obvious relationship to the cycle of the moon with women's cycles, and and that's something that I think is not unique to one culture or tradition.
0: Everything just flows together, where whether it's the blood, or the moon, the the water, the music, the dance. It's all just this. Beating hum of humanity, and I love how you wove all of that together.
1: Oh well, I yes, the the music is is a really was a really kind of important element for me to to include. Music like the honoring of the moon is as old as humanity, and different cultures express it differently. This book, because the character is bicultural she is mexican and puerto rican she happens to dance a kind of puerto rican dance called bomba which is based in afro puerto rican communities it comes from the slaves who, who were taken from haiti to puerto rico who who used it as resistance art after working a really long day in the plantations they would dance this beautiful art form that's very improvisational and 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 is a connection between the dancer and the drummer and so I really wanted to include that because we don't see a lot of the nuance in the Latinx community so we see lots of of single stories and I think this intersection and a nuance of of a bicultural child I think was was something that really was really important to me.
0: You have broken so much new ground here. That in addition to the very powerful story of Sally's coming of age, you talked about her friend Magda and her story and her journey to becoming Marco. Could you talk about that as well?
1: Yes. Marco is, is a child inspired by a child that I know in real life in the Bay Area. I'm really lucky to be surrounded by so many cultural expressions. And I think it has a lot to do with so many immigrants who have kind of gathered in the Bay Area and have used the arts to kind of flourish. And so you will see somebody like Marco, who is Mexican, practice capoeira or bomba or some other art form that happens to come from the Latinx community, because that is what the Bay Area has to offer. In terms of Marco's journey, Marco is, again, not unlike many children that I know in the Bay Area who have had the space to explore their their gender in a way that's safe. I know that isn't always the case, but in this particular instance, I really wanted to kind of draw on ancestral knowledge, which in Mexica knowledge that says we have a, a wider understanding of gender that, you know, if you look at our our gods and goddesses, in particular Ometeot, who is the creator god, they were neither male or female, but both divine duality. And so there's a lot of evidence that shows us that the Mexica actually respected and honored this fluidity, this binary idea was not as important as it is, you know, today in society, and so to bring Marco into this idea and this concept and kind of broaden our understanding as well as a uh, modern day society of what it means to be a true expression of your spirituality and your and your um, and your own beauty as as a gender expansive person is something I really was was hoping to get to.
0: We're also lucky that you sat down to write this story. I wonder if you could take us on the journey a little bit from your first words to seeing this gorgeous book in print.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, I wrote the book in about a year. It took me a year. The first words were written on a plane ride from New York to San Francisco. And they were inspired by my daughter, who, is, who was at the time 11 years old and asking all of the questions that Celie asked. <laughs> and unlike Celie, my daughter was really looking to her moon ceremony. And I found it funny that she did, but because she had grown up in in a practice of women's circles and moon ceremonies, she was really looking forward to it. And I thought it would be funny to write the exact opposite. <laughs> what would happen if the exact opposite were true? I wrote the first 30 pages, and then, and then I sat with it. I didn't touch it for about five months. And then I went away on a, to jazz camp, which is a, a thing we, we do as a family every, every year. And I wrote the synopsis from beginning to end. And then I didn't touch it. And then I went away for four days, and I wrote the, the first draft.
0: You wrote the first draft. Then
1: what? So the first draft uh, was written, and I sent it out to a few agents. It was out with about six agents. And then I happened to go to the SCBWI LA conference, and I had a critique with a young editor, unknown to me, whose bio was really, really short. And I walked in, and it was this— very um, tall, (laughs) straight-looking, white man, and I looked and I said, no way, there's no way this man is going to understand the story about periods and brown and queer kids in Oakland. And he totally proved me wrong. And that was Nick Thomas. Speaking of Nick,
0: I'd love to introduce him right here so that he can tell us for himself what drew him to the Moon Within?
2: So I'm Nick Thomas. Uh, I'm a senior editor at Arthur a. Levine Books, which is an imprint of Scholastic. I edit uh, mostly middle grade and young adult novels. The Moon Within it, it started actually at a, an SCBWI conference uh, in Los Angeles. Um, so that's the Society of Children's Book Illustrators and Writers. Sort of when you go to these writers' conferences, part of your your gig there, you you read um, and critique, you know, a certain amount of manuscripts, and you know some are better than others, and and your job is to to kind of help each person no matter where they are sort of in their publishing journey to make the book a little bit better. So, I was reading it was on the flight there, it's like 10 or 20 different manuscripts. I read, you know, again the uh, the first few pages of The Moon Within, and I kind of just sat up in my chair and I, and uh kind of felt like a lightning bolt hit me and I was like, "Damn, this is so good." When you when you get that feeling, it's very rare as an editor, but that's kind of what you're your whole job is. It's what you're searching for. The lightning bolt feeling is the first thing that happens. And then the second thing is like, I hope it isn't just like the first 10 pages are good and the rest isn't so great. I hope she has more, you know, who is this person? So I was super eager to meet her. And then when I did, I I think the way Aida tells it is that I was very like stone faced. You know, she has her own perspective on, on when we first met, but I was just like inside so excited and so thrilled. And I just wanted to a make sure that she hadn't sent it to anyone else, um, and B know that you know there was more to the story and, and kind of what brought her to it and all this stuff. It was a really it, it really serendipitous. It couldn't have worked out any better.
0: I'd love for you to walk us through the editing process with Aida. She's a debut author. Tell us what it was like working with her on this very special book. Really,
2: it, it really was a dream. Um, Aida is is phenomenal at revising, at taking feedback. Once she had written like kind of a full manuscript you know, I I like to write letters and and sort of combine that with phone calls. And, you know, if if we have the chance to meet in person, you know, you start with bigger, more macro changes to the story and deepening it and and honing it. And then you kind of move to to more line by line levels, which was especially cool with this book because she's such a beautiful poet and it is a novel in verse. You know, along the way, we worked with a, a ton of different sensitivity readers, a ton of different like sort of historical experts on Mexica traditions for the LGBTQ content here. That was a really wonderful process. I always feel like that leads to a better book. And I think that really paid dividends in the final story.
0: We haven't seen a book like this, which addresses a girl getting her first period since Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which is Judy Blume's classic from 1970. What was it like for you to navigate this terrain? I get that question a lot,
2: actually. But, you know, I'm a a person in this world. To me, half the world goes through this process. This is a book for everyone. It's certainly needed for for female readers out there, but it's needed for everyone beyond that. That was really exciting for me, and I wish I had this book when I was 9 or 10 or, you know, 28. (laughs)
0: What do you hope readers will take away from The Moon Within?
2: For girls, women, people who menstruate, particularly Latinx kids out there, that they see themselves in this book. But I think that for just every kid out there, that they fall in love with this one girl and her family and and her friends and this whole community, and that they see the universal through the specific, which Aida has so masterfully created here.
0: Aida, we're hoping that every child can see themselves in a book. And you've gone a long way towards bringing this... Culture to life. I wondered when was the first time you saw yourself in a book.
1: Wow. Well, I fell in love with books when I was in the fifth grade, um, but I didn't, and I read vigorously. I read everything that I could get my hands on, and it wasn't until I was nineteen and sitting in college in a course for Latino literature that I saw myself reflected for the first time. And the first book that I read was uh, Sandra Cisnero's Woman Hollering Creek. But that was an awakening that shouldn't have taken 19 years to, to happen. And so I always mourn the fact that that, that, wasn't, that that wasn't available to me before. You know, I find it that, that that's my part of my work. Now, that's part of my work is to, to make sure that other children don't have to wait 19 years to see themselves and that they can wait five and four and 10, 11.
0: What is your hope that young readers like you were take away from the moon within?
1: I want children to, boys and girls, I want boys and girls to be able to see inside this book and find a truth about their own beauty, about the possibility of what can be and how to change the narrative that they've been told to accept as the only way. I want them to feel empowered to love their bodies and to love their traditions and their their art forms and to know that friendship is one of the most important things.
0: Well, you've done just that, Aida, and I thank you so much for the book and for coming in to join
1: us. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much again to Aida Salazar and Nick Thomas for joining me. And thank you for listening. To learn more about The Moon Within, check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Don't miss an episode of Scholastic Reads. Find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and each episode will automatically be delivered to your phone. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, associate producer Mackenzie Cutrezula, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.